What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another searing hot episode of Write Who You Know, the screenwriting podcast that's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. I'm Matt Hausfetter. Uh, man, today is Monday, June 5th, another Juney gloomy day here in Los Angeles, which is starting to get real frustrating. Why are we paying all this fucking money in property taxes uh, to live in what is basically London uh, or Seattle? Uh, this sucks, and I would like the sun to come back. Uh, I don't know who we can contact about this. I've asked the council people. Uh, I've now reported it and complaints lodged on Reddit threads. But uh, this is fucking bullshit. I didn't sign up for all this gloom when I decided uh, I was going to take roots in Los Angeles after college. Uh, let's see what else is going on. It's week six, starting of the strike. Uh, the DGA announced that they made a deal with the AMPTP over the weekend which is great for them, but also incredibly frustrating because I thought we were all in solidarity. And uh, John Avnet, the president of the DGA, uh, basically said we won't make a deal until the writers get what they deserve. And then I think he spelled out the word deserve. Um, so that feels a little bullshitty. Uh, not thrilled, but also I get it. You know, directors and uh, ADs and second ADs, they all want to work and get back to it, and they don't want a work stoppage, but I do think uh, maybe they should have played the long game and realized that we could have had the whole town by the balls and really gotten some gains uh, if the DGA and SAG-AFTRA and the WGA really all uh, united as one front. But alas, that is not how things go in Hollywood. It's get yours and fuck you and, uh, you know, eat what you kill. Which is wonderful, which reminds me uh, of our wonderful guest today, Alex Blagg. Alex is a great dude. I met him, oh man, on the Tumblr, on Tumblr back in the day. Do you guys remember that? Tumblr blogging, David Karp's company. Um, I was a Tumblr dork. That's where I found Alex Blagg. He went on to write on a couple different shows, splitting up together, separated together, trinkets. He is one of the executive producers and co-creators of the 600-episode show, game show, on Comedy Central at midnight. Uh, he is the executive producer and, I believe, co-creator of Problematic with Moshe Catcher. Uh, and he's just an all-around great dude. Uh, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say um, because, as I always say, writing is the easy part. The hustle is what's hard. Uh, had I not reached out to Alex uh, the year we both had scripts on the 2012 Blacklist and asked him to go get coffee, Fairfax might never have existed um, because he's the one who uh, his production company, Serious Business, called me and said, hey, we have this idea and we're going to start hearing takes from writers about a show called Fairfax. So uh, you got to do your thing. You got to go meet people. You got to hustle. You got to get out, get out there and get in line with the people. But as I always say, don't do it in a gross, sycophantic way. Go and be a homie, you know, be someone that 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 uh, other people are going to want to take to get a beer or go see Springsteen. You know, speaking of someone you want to take a beer with or have a beer with and go see Bruce Springsteen, uh, check out my episode and my interview with the homie writer, producer, extraordinaire, Tumblr blog lord, Alex Black. Pass. Nope. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. But yeah, I go back and I'm always just like, it's very difficult to listen to. I'm like, that's what I fucking sound like. 
my, I feel like um, when I hear myself on like a voicemail or my wife's whatever, I feel like it's so deep and in my head, it's not. You know, like I just, it's it's normal. But when I other people are like your voice is so deep, you sound like your dad. I'm like no, really, but you have like a deep reedy radio voice, which makes sense for you to launch a podcast because you have a voice for radio. I don't know. I you know I was born in in Southern California and then lived like everywhere like fucking like idaho utah alabama tennessee san francisco new york and so i've just like i don't think i have like a definable accent of any kind it's just this like it's i don't know so i i just don't know what my voice is (laughs) uh i'm gonna dive right in there alex because you give me a perfect opportunity because uh uh and i'm just making sure there's not too much reverb here what is great i find about your voice is that I first discovered you on Tumblr, where there is no voice, but for what the voice of you sounded like in my head. Mm. Uh, and truthfully, I didn't realize like you can write colloquially and conversationally and fun until, no bullshit, I started reading you, Molly McAleer, and Ned Hepburn. Oh wow! Do those other two Tumblr names? Yeah, that's a that's a real like moment in time that (laughs) like you and uh, fourteen of other people will also remember. But yeah, I mean that's funny because like for me the Tumblr era, if we want to generously call it that, uh, as you're describing, that was like right after I had moved to LA. But like really my you know, start, uh, it, it was like, that was an extension of blogging, right. Which is like truly how I got started was, um, you know, I just like before that even existed and anyone knew what that was, or it was a thing or social media, like out of college, I got this like horrible job in advertising in like the East Bay. I used to commute like reverse commute from San Francisco in the city and take a BART train to like Walnut Creek, this like weird, like kind of affluent suburb and went to like a a little advertising agency with like eight people that mostly their clients were like suburban home developers. And I'd be like coming up with names of streets like Briarview and, you know, Johnson Crest or whatever. (laughs) Like that was like my job. And so just to like keep myself sane, I fucking surf the internet all day as people do now has become the norm but at the the time it was like the internet was still in its like kind of primordial stage so anyway i started reading all these blogs and then i naturally started being like oh well i should start a blog too and it became kind of just this way to like kill time and also you know i was like doing stand-up comedy and shit like that and so it just kind of became this like natural outlet for me to just like fuck around and put funny things out online because there wasn't a lot of competition at the time it started to like get some, you know, attention and things like that. And that ultimately like in a really weird roundabout way kind of led me into um, entertainment writing. But yeah, so it's like for me, Tumblr was like this whole like at that point, I already felt like I had like lived a whole life and had this career as a blogger. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so what were you blo- what were you blogging about out of curiosity? I mean, I was writing a lot of shit that was kind of like I would call like almost pre-college humor right it would be like like i remember some of the first things that i did that like i guess quote unquote went viral where i was like i wrote like five movies you should not be quoting (laughs) and like this snarky takedown of people that were like quoting old school too much or whatever (laughs) and like being like you're not the funny one of your friends just because you like know a fucking ron burgundy like it was like really kind of like 
that that early internet sort of I guess snark for lack of a better that word. doesn't make you like your personality is not like I see Adam yeah. McKay comedies yes right right I wrote another one that I w- that was really big called uh, Look Nobody Cares You're a DJ uh, uh-huh. that was just like a takedown of DJ culture uh, <laughs> I wrote one. Um, I don't mean, I'm just like, it was just like dumb stuff like that. Like I would write these polemics about nothing that were mostly comedic and they would kind of get passed around and they get picked up on sites like FARC or like these early like link aggregator sites, uh-huh. you know, and then doing that for a couple of years, like I eventually, some of my work kind of got on the radar of um, this guy, Fred Graver, who was the creator and EP of this show called Best Week Ever on VH1 in New York. And he had this whole vision of like, I want to start a website that basically takes what we're doing on the show and it's like a blog that does it all day long. It was kind of, I, I think, you know, sort of like Defamer or Gawker or something, yeah. but really pop culture focused. And so, yeah, he hired me to like move to New York and basically do what I was doing uh, in my, you know, on the clock when I was supposed to be coming up with suburban home street names. Uh, and, and yeah, just like paid me to do that. So that was kind of my gig for, I think... Almost four years. And you're like living in New York as a writer. You Did you feel like, oh, I, I figured it out? I mean, dude, it's I, I, I will like this memory is so vivid, but like I moved. OK, so I quit this job in Walnut <laughs> Creek that I, uh-huh. I hated. And it was like I was not getting paid anything. It was just it was bad. I went back home uh, to Tennessee uh, for the holidays and I just stayed with my parents for like three months with a vague plan of like, I'm going to move to New York after this because I just can't. I feel like San Francisco, like I need you know, my blogging stuff is taking <laughs> off. Like I need, I need to grow out of this. And, uh, and so it was like, there's a, there's a definitely like a parallel path, like a sliding doors thing where I just stayed in Tennessee and just like, <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, I'm dead now. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so I'm there like over the holidays, I get this call from Fred Graver and he's like, Hey, uh, I think you could be good for this site this idea that i'm trying to do will you do like a little he made me like audition like so like one day i just pretend blog <laughs> like i was blogging for best best week ever and i guess he liked it enough that i i get this call like out of nowhere uh literally just like i mean it's like a movie scene where i'm like hung over in my parents basement <laughs> and he's just like hey do you want to come to new york and i'll pay you he threw out a number that was like twice as much as i was making in in san francisco to do this thing that I was already doing. And so I was like, uh, yes. And I remember the vivid memory that I have is getting to New York. Their offices were at 1633 Broadway, which is in like the middle of Times Square. Like TRL. And like TRL. It's, it's te- Technically, that's 1515. It's okay. a couple blocks up. <laughs> okay. but, but yeah, you can feel the heat of TRL. Like It's, it's more of a warmth. Okay up the street but Uh yeah so it's but it's still yo it feels like you're smack dab in the middle of fucking new york city and i get you know my friend that like meets me and walks me into the building and like i'm walking into the vh1 building and truly i I mean i had this like out of body moment where i was just like i climbed the fucking mountain (laughs) i made it i did it i fucking did it and i was just like this is it like show business baby and well, how old were you? Like 21, 22? I was at that, I would have been 24. Then. Okay, 24. And and it's just so funny. Like I, I think about that and I laugh hysterically because, like, of course, three months later, you're just like 
okay, this is actually, I'm pretty fucking low on the totem pole here. <laughs> I've got a long way to go. <laughs> like I'm, I'm actually not even at the bottom of the ladder. I'm like on, I'm like gum on the foot of somebody that's maybe going to try to climb the ladder. And so, so like I, but I still, you know, it's fun. It was a cool show to kind of be in the orbit of. Cause it was like, you know, it was like Nick Kroll and John Mulaney and Paul Shear and Rob. Oh, they Hugel. were there too. Oh yeah. Yeah. All these guys, Aziz, like, they were like at that point like young UCB guys that were just getting 500 bucks a week to come and like you know make fun of Britney Spears on on best week ever uh for a few hours and um so yeah it was like a great you know it was a, a good exposure to like um that sort of comedy world and then kind of made a lot of friends doing that but also as it went on it just also felt like corporate and like i was kind of being pushed more into this um more like web publishing like buzzfeed kind of kind of business than it like than comedy writing you know what i mean like because i ended up getting promoted to being like the head of the site project thing and then it just started yeah it became like managerial more than um creative and so yeah i started getting again like kind of um restless and anxious and just feeling like oh you know i want to be a writer but like I, i don't know if like this is the path and uh, I ended up taking a job out here working for Lloyd Braun and Gail Berman mm-hmm. um, when they had a company together that was similar. Like they hired me to do something similar that I was doing at Best Week Ever. And it was just like that was kind of like me just like hitting the wall with this whole like blogging thing where I was just like, I do not want my career to be someone who's like being funny about Kim Kardashian for like page views and clicks and then having to have a meeting every month where I'm like, our, our click rate is dropped 17%. And so ad sales, you know, it was like that kind of shit. And so I really just like quit and, and kind of stepped away from that whole thing and decided, okay, like I'm going to like really focus in and and try to be a writer, writer. And um, did you have screenwriting like in mind or were you like, oh, I could write a novel? It's always screenwriting. Um, I mean, when I was in high school in Tennessee, uh, I was I guess I would have been a junior becoming a senior. It was like the year that Goodwill Hunting happened. (laughs) And I just remember like the whole Ben and Matt, like, Uh you know, matching Jeeps, matching Jeeps, narrative frenzy. And like as dumb as it was, I mean, I was like, again, I'm like a hayseed from Tennessee. So like, I don't know (laughs) how like movies and shows get made, but I'm just like, wait, these two fucking cool dudes wrote a screenplay and now they're like Oscar winning celebrities. Like, that's what I want to do. You know, it was truly that, that naive. And, um, and so, yeah, that from that point on, like, I just always had this like North star of like, I want to be. A writer for film and TV, and but then having even though I had that North Star, I just took truly the fucking weirdest, most zigzaggy path towards it, and a lot of it didn't wasn't in that direction and didn't make sense, and I'd have to kind of double back and and you know and like I still I mean obviously like at this point in my career it's like I've worked and I've, I've like had some success and 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 accomplished things but even then I still kind of feel like I'm not much higher on the ladder of like <laughs> walking into VH1 and being like I'm a blogger you know like uh <laughs> but yeah so that was like that was always the goal though and um when you quit though Alex you didn't have any job you were just like I, I can't be here anymore I don't want to do clickbaity shit I'm yeah. out yeah I, I had hit, it was definitely one of those like leaps of faith that uh i think are easier to take when you're yeah you know 28 and don't have a kid or mortgage or anything like that and i was just kind of like i this is like i need a hard reset 
I need to like, if I'm going to like take scripted writing seriously, like I need to create the space in my life to be able to like sit down, do that and just fucking like go all in on it and see what happens. And, and even having, you know, so I did that. Right. So I quit this job. I sat down, I wrote a fucking terrible pilot, just like (laughs) unreadable pilot. It's a, that I, I'm embarrassed to even think about now. And uh, and I, I was waiting for my agent, um, shout out Alan Haldeman. At the you time. had an agent back then. Alan Haldeman. So because I was like, guess, like hot shit enough as a blogger or digital guy, UTA's digital department signed me. Is and that where you meet Jason Adler? I, and, no, that's where I met John Zimless. Right. Zimless okay. was my first agent. He was like a friend of mine who I think Zimless also represented um, set me up with him on this just like general when I was visiting LA and I, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm a fucking hotshot New York blogger, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, and he's like, okay, uh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, really what I want to do is like create shows like the Sopranos or whatever. I had no fucking idea what I was saying. And he's just like, but to his credit, it was kind of like, okay, like, well, let's, you know, so that job that I moved out here for actually Zimless was the one that, set up the like Lloyd Braun, Gail Berman thing. He'd heard that they had this need for like someone like me, like a, a digital blogger person. And so, um, yeah, so that was how I got in with him and UTA. And then because I had expressed a desire to create the Sopranos, he also, as a kindness, I think brought Alan Haldeman in to kind of be my lit agent, even though I had no lit to represent at that moment. And I think it was just more of like a, um, as they call it a hip pocket type thing where it's like, yeah. Did you meet Alan on that trip? I did. Well, no. So when I first, after the trip, John hooked up that, that job interview thing. I got the job. I move out here. That was another advantage of this job was that they paid to move my life to LA, which ended up being great. And so as soon as I get here, like John and I go and have breakfast in Santa Monica and Alan comes then as that was like, like this, you know, this can be your, your kind of like, if you have, aspirations to write and stuff this will be the person you talk to and at this moment i mean alan is like a huge power agent now but this was also probably like he was a a young agent at the time and um so yeah so we we do that and um i'm kind of jumping around but so i I get to the point no dude this is this is you it's just like your career we're jumping around we're taking a circuitous route it's a it's a very circuitous route and um so anyway so yes i take this job i hate it i finally kind of hit this wall of like i gotta be a writer i go i write my awful pilot i send it to alan haldeman and as i'm waiting for him to read it uh i'm just kind of like antsy you know i'm like oh this isn't as easy i thought i would just like hit send and then yeah. alan would immediately respond and just be like you're a fucking genius and i'm gonna go <laughs> sell this and you're gonna create the sopranos and um it would didn't happen like that and uh and so kind of while i'm waiting i just start like having nothing else to do i kind of like launched this idea i always had this idea for like a parody kind of website web series character guide that i called the bajillion hits that was like an exaggerated version of myself who was just this like maniac, like super self-confident idiot who like was a self-professed master of digital arts, you know, and claimed to have read the whole internet five times and was like a social media guru. Right. And this is in like 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. This is so ahead of our time, by the way. Well, it, you know, it it was funny. It was like one of those things where it like, it got a bunch of attention in the like media world, you know, like, I don't know, 
Daily Beast and Vulture and people like that like wrote about it. And like I think all these kind of like people that were in the world that I had just come out of, of like web publishing and had probably sat through a million meetings with dipshits like this guy were like, oh shit, this is funny because like there's just at that point there was like so many of these like like just complete bozos out there. The Trace with, Comas guy yes, from Silicon Valley is who I imagine. 100%, 100%. And so that ends up being this thing that kind of starts to like get some attention. It doesn't blow up to the degree of like I'm, you know, every video or thing I'm doing is getting millions of hits because it was a it was like kind of a niche joke I was making, but the people that got it really seemed to like it. And I think, you know, it, it that was like the thing where like agents and stuff like that started to notice it and so it was kind of like ended up being like okay this pilot you wrote was like dog shit but this the other thing you're doing is interesting and like maybe there's um something to that i mean i was getting like you know little speaking gigs and and you know showing up at like corporate retreats as this guy and just like kind of you know doing nonsense powerpoint presentations for roomfuls in of character exact, in character i literally <laughs> and so, you know how like all those like ted talk guys have like the little earpiece yep. i just wore like an xbox headset that wasn't plugged into anything <laughs> like we truly just gave these like these powerpoint presentations that were just like hallucinations they were insane <laughs> and uh do people get it People got it. And Good. it was also one of those jokes where it was like people really congratulated themselves for getting it. You know what I mean? It yeah. was kind of like, oh, he's talking about me, but like I'm in on the joke. I get it. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, it was that uh, like my biggest fans were definitely the people that I was making fun of. Um, so anyway, so at that point, John, I think, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this thing's cool. He was wanting to leave, John Zimlis was wanting to leave UTA and uh, kind of figure out like a more creative path. And so, yeah, he and, and Jason Nadler, who I, I didn't know as well, but I had like met uh, in passing at UTA, were like, why don't, why don't we start a production company? We need like a creative person. You could do that. And I'm, again, like, I don't have a job. No one's like beating down my door about my bad pilots. <laughs> and like, I have this kind of little thing going that has like some heat and attention. So I'm just like, yeah, okay. And so, yeah, we just kind of started this, like, decided we were a production company and that we were producers, uh, having never produced or done anything. <laughs> and like, And just it was like, yeah, let's give this a shot. And, um, and then, you know, one of the kind of first, like, things that we, we sort of came up with, you know, I was also, like, a very early adopter of Twitter and just, like, a social media... Yeah, again, from like the blogging and just being like online all the time. Like, yeah, you I, were honestly like you were famous to me as like <laughs> truly like you were famous. Like at the time, like people were becoming famous for doing what you were doing. And so I was just like, I want to be near this guy. And that's how I ended up asking you to go to coffee originally, like, you know, when you were about to go work on betas because I was right. like, he figured it out. Right. Well, so it's I, nice to hear you be like, I had no clue what I was doing. No, no, I didn't. I had no clue. And I, I think, I mean, I think that also, like, when you say famous, they actually have a word for it now, which is like micro famous, right? And I was like super micro famous. <laughs> like, like uh, I mean, you know, I, I think I was lucky that like, uh, you know, some people that were like influential in in media and entertainment knew who I was, which was that was helpful. But like, yeah, nobody, uh, nobody in the the broader world <laughs> had any idea that I existed, and so. Yeah, it wasn't like the easiest thing to figure out, like how to like parlay this into like a bigger thing. So, so yeah, I was just kind of like taking every shot that presented itself. So one of them was this production company, and then out of that, you know, yeah, I was like doing Twitter all the time, and like I would do those stupid hashtag games. And then at one point, it was just like 
this needs to be like a show, a game show of like hashtag games. Like, what's that? And so, you know, we kind of spun around that for a while and then, and you know, ended up kind of coming up with the idea that would become At Midnight, which was a like a really funny thing because we were just three idiots that like had done nothing. And then you have one idea that like, and even that was like the pieces of it came together in such a like lucky and, and, you know, um, I don't know, serendipitous way. But once it happens and once like, you know, you get a show on the air and all that stuff, it's, it's, it's validating where like overnight all of a sudden you're just, you're not three idiots anymore. It's like, Oh, you're three idiots with a show. What's your other ideas? So that, that was happening on one hand. And then, you know, while we were kind of waiting for at midnight, like during the, it was probably a two year development process. Um, I finally, you know, I wrote another pilot and wrote some other stuff, uh, got on the blacklist, which is, that's how we met. We were oh, on the same, right. we were on the same year. Yeah. And when you reached out for coffee, it was like, we had both just been on the blacklist. And, uh, cause I wrote a feature with a, a friend. Fuck Mary Kill. Show. Fuck Mary Kill. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it's like, I'm again though, that's like a good snapshot of where I was at, where it's like, on one hand I have this like weird semi hustle production company thing with these guys. Uh, I'd written a feature with this other friend of mine, Neil Shaw, and then I'd written, you know, some new pilots on my own that I think had gotten a little bit better and then had gotten a job on betas on, on Amazon's show. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just a really weird thing where I was kind of trying to figure out like well, what am I? You know what I mean? Like I, I had all these different lanes I was trying to kind of play in. And instead of picking one, I just tried to like juggle all three of them. Um, and so that, yeah, that ended up being kind of the next few years where I was like jumping back and forth from, you know, like um, Serious Business, which was the production company that I have with John and Jason and, and our shows like At Midnight. And, and um, there was some other kind of late night show type things. And then ultimately Fairfax where, you come back into the story and then, um, and then, yeah, doing features with Neil and, you know, we'd had off the blacklist success. We're able to like, you know, sell a movie with Kevin Hart and, and, you know, other little kind of, was that run the jewels that was run the jewels, uh, which like, (laughs) that's a great title by the way. Thank you. Side story was like, we had kind of just thrown that title out as a, like kind of for, as a joke almost in this weird pitch with, uh, Universal when when they kind of sent us in there to give them the it was like kind of a weird thing where like Dave Becky heard the pitch was like oh that's great like you gotta like Kevin should do that like I'm gonna set you up to go talk to Kevin then we go out to Kevin Hart's office and wait for him and then sit down with him and pitch him this thing very very surreal and then he's just like yeah that sounds great let's do it and then all of a sudden we're just like in this weird pitch with Universal where it's just us in this one executive in a giant conference room and it's and Kevin's already said he wants to do it so it's just like this like strange formality where we have to like tell her the idea and then she has to pretend to be like, yeah, I think we're interested. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, it was very strange. So, it, but anyway, so in that process we had thrown out run the jewels as like a joke idea, like just cause it was a, a, a movie basically about these guys who like Kanye West esque rapper steals their beat. They can't prove it. And he, you know, be, he takes their song, basically blows it up to a giant hit and so instead of being able to get, you know, to sue him, they decide to, like, stage this insane heist at the Grammy Awards and, like, take this, like, very, like, expensive piece of jewelry of his. Anyway, uh, it didn't get made. But we throw out that title as a joke. And then when the press announcement comes out, it's like <laughs> it's like Kevin Hart's next movie, Run the Jewels, about a rapper, like, set in the world of hip-hop. And then truly, like, 
two hours later, LP, <laughs> Killer Mike are like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> we have nothing to do with this. I don't know who these are. And like, they just started like blowing us up. And because also in, you know, I mean, you know how press hits are or like trades pieces are, it was just like my giant port, uh, uh, headshot, <laughs> Neil's headshot, Kevin Hart. They can't get to Kevin Hart, but they find my ass on Twitter. And it's just oh, like, no. I've they start bullying you? Dude, oh, my God, dude. I got LP and the, like, Run the Jewels fandom just up my ass. Killer about, Mike, too? Yeah. I mean, oh, it was, dude. I, I, the way that the story ends, though. So I, it, was like, <laughs> it was a terrible day. Because I'm like, first of all, I'm a huge fan of them, right? Like, I love, I love Run the Jewels. And this should have been a day of celebration. Should have been a day of celebration. And instead, it becomes like I'm having a miniature internal crisis PR situation where I'm like, I'm like, I have fucking outraged, uh, all of run the jewels and, and, and they're all just making fun of me on Twitter and I hate this. Um, and finally it, it kind of dies down and we, I think they actually end up putting out a follow-up piece where it's just like, that was a working title or whatever. Um, but nobody had approved that, right? It's like, I don't know who puts out trade press release things. I'm guessing it's like agents or reps or something. But no one called and was like, is the title Run the Jewels? Or was that just like a thing you said mm -hmm. uh, like as what would be a, a fun title? And so anyway, uh, cut to, I don't know, a year and a half later. And we're doing an episode of Moshe Kasher's show, Problematic. Uh, and one of our guests on the show is Killer Mike. <laughs> and so like backstage, we're talking and I'm like, hey, man. This is weird, but like I wrote this movie that like got out that was called like they said it was called Run the Jewel. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I just want to say like I'm really sorry. Like that that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't ever going to be the title. Our thought was like maybe we would like once it got to that point, reach out to you guys to like collaborate on it. But it you know they just they fucked up the press release and he's just like, oh it's all good, baby. And like he like gave me his phone number. I have Killer Mike's phone number. <laughs> Haven't used it. Get him on the phone. Should we call Killer Mike right now? Just be like, can we get you to comment on the Run the Jewels saga uh, with Kevin Hart from six years ago? Uh, yeah. So I don't even know what we got into that. Uh, well, I want to. Well, I want to go back to at midnight okay. if that's okay. Oh with yes, you. yes, yes. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. I'm going to say that again for the for continuity. I want to get back to at midnight for a second because I'm so curious about that development process. Uh, there are like 14 producers on it. So I'm curious, like how Lennon and Grant came aboard, how, like, and I, you know, what I asked so many people is, you know, this, there's so many, uh, there's like writers have like three good days a year. Mm -hmm. uh, two, if one of those three gets tainted by a run, the jewels press release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, like, do you remember where you were when you got the call that comedy central was picking up your show to series? <sighs> You know, that was also a really, I mean, as you pointed out, there were 14 producers and there's a reason for that because it was like a snowball project where it just like it started as this one little pebble of an idea and just like it kept growing and growing. And as it grew, it's like it kept attracting more talent and more people and more like producers. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and you know, and so I'll get to the answer of that. But I mean, basically, the story was, you know, it, it came out of just like, again, the nugget was like, OK, there's something addictive playing these stupid like hashtag games on Twitter coming up with puns. And, and you know, how do you gamify that? Right. And John and Jason and I actually 
our first, <laughs> I, I, my, I first pitched them like we should make this a game show, but then somehow we got into this idea of like, no, it should be like a tech platform <laughs> where you can like, I think it was like in the world where Favestar was like mm-hmm. a thing. Oh my God, Remember Favestar? Favestar? Jesus. So we were like, we have the Favestar killer. <laughs> it's like, we're going <laughs> to do a hashtag version of Favestar and like truly went down the road, like talked to some fucking tech coder guy and like all this stuff. And then kind of. I don't know, just like that was obviously a fucking terrible idea. And so we we sort of hit a wall. And then like John and I kind of circled back to like, okay, what about the game show idea though? And then we had this idea. Um, I had this idea called like, oh, what if we call it like Twitter Dome? And we just like lean into the comedy of just like how dumb it is to compete at Twitter jokes, and, like blow that up to like, ep- you know, apocalyptic type of tone. And then that really opened it up where it was like, then I remember, I do have this memory of this day that John and and I kind of just figured out like, okay, this is like how the gameplay will work. Round one is this, and then it's this, and then it kind of ends in like a head-to-head tweet off and, you know, whatever. And so we had enough then, I think, to kind of like put together a little deck. Jason uh, was good friends with this guy, Mike Farah, who runs um, Funny or Die. And uh, I think they were like in the UTA mailroom together or something. And so he calls up Mike. We go in and pitch it. Uh, Mike uh, is, is you know, kind of like, this is a cool idea. Like, I don't, maybe, you know, like, I don't know. And then I guess sort of asked around Funny or Die, and to, to his credit, his assistant, this guy Joe, it was his assistant at the time, Joe Farrell, who's now, a you know, he's like his partner in EP. But I guess he was like the one person that was like, oh, yeah, like this, uh, I think there's something here. So Mike kind of like did his thing, was like, okay, well, I think we need some, you know, probably like some talent or somebody to bring in to help us with this. So he called up um, Thomas Lennon and Ben Garant from like the state and they're successful screenwriters and performers, Reno 911. And they're, I mean, those guys are amazing, super funny. They came in and like really helped, I think just like, you know, like make the whole, every kind of uh, part of the idea, all the examples, everything just super funny. They They got it. They got it. And they had a ton of like very funny ideas. And so then with that team, we walk into Comedy Central. I definitely remember this meeting where it was like I was kind of the serious business representative, and it's like Tom and Ben and Mike and Joe, and then like Kent Alterman, the then, then president of Comedy Central. And for me, it's like I've done nothing. Like I haven't even staffed on a show yet, so I'm like in the office of the president of Comedy Central, <laughs> which felt like a really big crazy deal. And like I think what I was struck by was like you always imagine like a really detailed <laughs> like clear pitch where you're just breaking it down and you're the whole the whole objective is to just like cleanly and clearly communicate this is the big idea this is how it'll work this is what we do it was not that it was truly like it was kind of like Kent obviously had a relationship with Tom and Ben. They just sort of shot the shit a little bit. Tom was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like a it's like a funny game show like social media like you know you get it yeah, it's like twitter game yeah. show i'm like sitting there i'm like you sure you don't want me to run through this 24 page deck that i have that i can just break down everything for you because i'm like in my mind i'm like this is going so badly and then 10 minutes later yeah we get a call like mike's like okay they said you know we don't really know what it is but we'd be dumb not to see so like we want to do a pilot so i'm like they do like that's it and that was a crazy literally 10 minutes like after the 10 meeting. minutes after the meeting like i'm literally in my car and it's like will you hold for mike farah and then we get this it's like john and jason all of us on a uh, conference call and it's just like he's just very casually like yeah it was like 
they have no idea what the fuck you were talking about, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they like Tom and Ben. So sure. You know, they'll, they, they want to see. And so at that point I'm just like, holy shit. But also like what a lesson where you're just like, you know, so many, so many times it, it's truly just about like the relationship or, you know, being able to get into the president's office, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I guess we just fucking lucked out. We were like riding coattails at that point. And, um, so yeah, so we end up like doing a bunch of development, figuring out this pilot presentation thing where we had, I mean, you know, and it was, a, it was a real deal. It's like, we built this giant set. We, you know, uh, Tom was going to host it, you know, even though we kind of knew he couldn't host it if it got picked up to series because he's just a very busy yeah. actor and writer and I think didn't want to host a daily show. And so, yeah, we, we kind of mount this, uh, this pilot all in one day. Our, our panelists were Kamel, uh, uh, Natasha Legero, and why am I fucking blanking on the third one? Hmm. Oh, I feel bad. Whoever you are out there, it was somebody great. Uh, but yeah, we had. Uh, I do remember Kamel and Natasha being in the pilot. Funches, maybe? No, no, no. It was like it was somebody good too. And I'm, I'm just for whatever. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting old, and my brain isn't working as well. But uh, we shoot this thing, and Thomas, you know, hilarious as a host, and so yeah, we send it into Comedy Central. Wait for six months, maybe six months, something like that. And the and oh, so getting back to your original question, the reason that there was we didn't quite have that moment because it was like we get this call or meeting with Kent Alterman where he's like, okay, look, um, we think you you know the pilot's great. Obviously, you need a host. You know, we need to make some tweaks to it. New title, maybe Twitter Dome. Don't know. Uh, and we have this other pilot that we shot um, that you know. Great host, not sure about the format, and it's Chris Hardwick. And, you know, our idea, and, and to, to Kent's, you know, credit, it was a fucking great idea to just, like, take the talent that they liked and the format that they liked that needed talent and just put them together. And so it was kind of ended up being this, like, arranged marriage. So I think once we, like, sat down with Chris and we all felt like, yeah, this seems like a good idea, we're excited then I think there was this meeting where we then sit down and sat, came back to Comedy Central and they like blessed it, you know. So I guess that I mean I do. That's where I was sitting was in Viacom conference room and uh, and just kind of like at that point, you know, you feel like you're like like you know the part in Boogie Nights where uh, Dirk Diggler and his friends are just sitting on the couch like watching uh, Alfred Molina like smoke crack and yeah. shoot guns and they're just kind of trying to like like just don't fuck up just like we got to just get through this. Like, that's how I felt in that meeting of just like, like all these kind of bigger players than me, you know, cause now you have, you have, we've added Chris, we've added Chris's manager. Now we're up to like, I don't know, 12 EPs maybe. And, and obviously we're the ones that like, nobody knows who the fuck we are or why we're there, you know? And uh, yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, just like, don't say anything. Don't blow it. Hopefully this happens. And, and then it did. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That was that. And it's coming back. Yeah, now I, I it's coming back to uh, CBS. That's I guess. fucking insane. Yeah, that was. I mean, you know, when I so the show uh, went on for for I think four six hundred episodes. Six hundred episodes was like four. That's how years. I tell people whenever like I've been in a meeting with Zim over the past few years. I'm like, guy has six hundred episodes of TV under his belt. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy. It like does. when you say that number. I mean, but again, it's you know, it's a nightly show. So and we did it for four years. So that I guess that adds up to six hundred. And, uh, and yeah, and, you know, and then I was kind of the only one, like I was a head writer for a while and I was like kind of very hands-on with the day-to-day of it for a long time. And, you know, and then 
So when when the show wrapped up on Comedy Central, when they kind of decided that they, you know, our, our fourth season or whatever was going to be the last, um, yeah, there was this kind of natural like departure point, and we can obviously get in because you're a part of the story too. Of you know, I had this like kind of going back to that idea of like. I was kind of trying to do three things at once, right? I'm trying to be like a feature screenwriter, a TV writer, and a producer uh, all at the same time. And there was just like a natural tension to that. And so I think once At Midnight went away, uh, there was just this kind of natural pivot point with John and Jason where I was like, I'm just going to go. I want to go do the writing thing. And like, you know, our our sort of future as as producers without the kind of like At Midnight sort of machine machine kind of and, and just like whatever revenue stream being there to kind of keep the lights on was a little bit more of like okay it feels like rockier and uh scarier and at that point you know i had now staffed also on like um on betas and workaholics and and had just gotten another and so i got another offer to do this show uh alone together and so it was a little bit of a like fork in the road moment where it's like do you if you take this staffing gig you can't really like like we're not like John and Jason weren't in the place that we were with at midnight on the air where like, like I could just go off for six months and staff and then come back and be like, okay, how's it going? You know, it was yeah. like, I had to make a choice. And so I chose the the writing path. And um, so as part of that kind of like leaving the company, you know, we end up making like a financial agreement. And so, so the new at midnight, I have nothing to do with. Like uh, I think that's John and Jason. And I think even maybe John ultimately left that partnership. So I think it's just Jason Got it. It's the, the the last man standing in the, the driver's seat there. So I want to give you so just from I'm working at Barney's New York. Yeah. I get a text from you. We're we're already like into Fairfax. I get a text from you. It's like, hey, can you t- can you guys talk for a second? And I don't know if you remember this. I knew something was like weird, and I was like, is it bad news? Like I texted <laughs> you back, and you're like, well, I have something to say. So like, why don't you guys call me? Um. And that's that's where I remember you leaving. But like I could tell v just via text, like there was change a coming. Yeah, it's like that. They, you know, they say that there's that saying about. I think they whoever created the quote, uh, it was it was about going broke. But they were like, it happened slowly and then all at once. You know, that was kind of like my exit from serious business, where it was. You know, there was like, I think because of the tension of like having these kind of multiple paths that I was trying to take. You know, it just. John and Jason, I'm sure, looked at it as like, well, we're not like taking sabbaticals to go work in writers' rooms, and like we're an equal three-person partnership. Yeah. So like, why should we absorb the extra work while you're off staffing or whatever? And so just yeah, in that moment, it just kind of created this um, this like you have to make a choice, you know. And and that was what I chose. And I mean, I would have loved to keep you know trying to juggle those things, but it just it felt like the right thing and the hard part of it was like having to walk away from projects that, you know, more because at the time it was like at midnight was over. So I wasn't ever even thinking about like, yeah. I mean, I know we, we were talking about like rebooting it even then for comedy central, but like I, you know, I'd had, I, I think that show was successful and I'm very grateful for what it did, but like I have no kind of interest or desire into like diving back into that. But like, yeah, Fairfax at the time, you know, we were kind of deep into like, we had developed and, and I think at that point had sold it and that was a rough one to have to like, yeah, say goodbye to. Um, but it was just, you know, I think sometimes you, on, on your path, you have those moments where you kind of have to make tough choices. The chance though, that any of these shows, whether it was at midnight or Fairfax, that any of these goes into production is like one in a billion. 
So I totally understand and would have done the same thing yeah. <laughs> if I were in your shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you ultimately want to be a writer. And so it's like if I'm getting offered these jobs that are, as we all know, incredibly coveted and very hard to get, I, of course, would go do that, you know, because you at least I assumed when I started working on Undatable, like, oh, like this is a Bill Orange show. He'll have shows on forever. I'm right. just going to keep working and right. working and television's not going to change. Right, right. And then little do I know. You know, I had to go work at Barney's and sell clothes after having staffed and worked on two. Sh- and I just you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Totally. And, and all you know, the whole experience of like the success of At Midnight and doing serious business, it was it was weird in a sense where like on one hand, I mean, truly, my first staffing gig, as I said, was on betas. Right. I was literally a staff writer, which is the as I'm sure your audience knows, the lowest level that you can be in a writer's room. That show wraps on a Friday, I walk out, and on Monday, I am the executive producer of At Midnight and creator of At Midnight, the, sh- the show that's just starting. Like, literally, we were just starting production, like, the Crazy. next fucking week. So I went from the lowest guy on the totem pole to one of the top 12 guys on the <laughs> totem pole. And, like, and so that was, like, a weird thing where, like, even though, you know, when I was 17 in high school, it's not like I watched... Uh, <laughs> The story of uh, you know Merv Griffith and was just like I want to make be a game show creator someday. <laughs> like that was never the dream that I was chasing. But like when you get when you get anything on the air and you get any kind of success and power and like you know uh, yeah recognition or validation, it's fucking hard to s- just walk away from that. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I definitely that period is is strange because it was like in some ways very like exciting and triumphant and and uh you know it was nice i know people were fucking like 20 percent nicer to me because <laughs> they thought i could help them or something and like that was fun to like wear that that costume right and but at the same time i felt like i was always being kind of gnawed at a little bit where i'm like yeah you're do- you're you're dedicating maybe i don't know 15 20 percent of your time and attention to writing or or creating something that's like telling stories like doing the thing that you really set out to do so even though it's like very adjacent to what my goal was it it still wasn't quite it it was almost like the same thing as like working on those clickbait websites it's just a little closer yeah to to the actual goal and so in some ways i just i feel like it was kind of a thing where i'm like a, a long kind of really fun distraction you know and so i think that that voice kept getting louder and so yeah it was just like at that point i was like i i gotta like be true to myself i think and um and yeah it's just i don't know it was very it was very hard to uh disconnect from something that was successful you know that was i i also think being in a trio is incredibly it's a very tricky number yeah and especially for me with teddy and aaron who you know we did fairfax and we continue to do a couple things together but like they're a writing team of two people yeah and i am never gonna be officially one of those pe- you know like i will always be yeah i'm the third wheel yeah you know and they joke like he's like the thxb from that old thing where it's like he somehow <laughs> fucking wedged his way in between us and got into the thx commercial yeah yeah um and while I love working with those dudes, the hardest part of me with for for me when Fairfax ended was like, I ultimately knew that day would come. I didn't know how soon it would come where like, you know, Aaron put his arm around Teddy and they went a different direction. And I 
went the other way. And of course, like we still talk every day and hang out. We I was with them the last two nights and we're, yeah. you know, trying to get other projects off the ground. But like there's a part of me that sure the money was great and having people kiss my ass and tell me what a genius I was and others is gonna change my career forever, which it hasn't. None of that is true. <laughs> um is getting to be with my two friends and like joke around and feel like I was part of something greater, even though it was just me and two dudes telling jokes. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 and yeah. And so I totally, I, t I, I can't imagine, even though you know, and I know it's different, but I, I think it's incredibly hard to leave a thing that you put so much time and effort into, and you did with your friends, and you're kind of like, all right, like I'm on my own now, and like you guys will be over here, and I'll be over here. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a really weird, it was a weird transition for sure. And like, you know, it, it was, I think again, the timing of it, it just, it ultimately looking back, it felt natural, but yeah, it was just, it was a hard, you get into a rhythm, you know what I mean? Like you kind of have like, you build this whole sort of like business and life and, and, and stuff that you're doing. And so it, to like suddenly hard shift into kind of a completely different lifestyle of like staffing and then having these periods of kind of, you know how it is like solitary, like coming up with ideas and writing new things and like all that stuff. Um, and I think what I missed the most, what I loved the most about it, which was, was the like, the fun thing about producing was really just the fucking like action. You know what I mean? It's like you're just like constantly like meeting people and coming up with ideas. And I'm a person that like I'm an idea machine. Like I'm you know, I think I have I think everyone has certain talents. I think one of mine is just that like I I make connections and come up with ideas. And like, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at executing them. But I also know I know enough writers to know like I'm not the best. Like I you know, I, 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 I think some of my friends are better at certain technical things. But like. I've just, for whatever reason, my thing has always been like, I'm good at like coming up with ideas and visualizing things that could and should exist. Right. And so that was like really the job of producing was just being like, okay, what about this? This could be a thing. And what if you take this idea and that person and then, oh shit, that company, we go to there and like blah, blah, blah. And it's like packaging, putting things together, building projects out of the sort of seed and an idea. And I, I, I really, and it's just like exciting, right? Cause you're yeah. like, you're always like, you're always going to meetings. You're always pitching. You're always like, you know, I mean, if things are going well, you're, you're, you're having these like little wins all along the way. Yeah. And so it's like, just like the purely like the dopamine aspect of it. Right. It's just like drip, 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 drip. Whereas writing, like you, I think you just mentioned, it's just like the wins are so few and far between that you don't have that steady hit of dopamine. It's a much quieter, sadder, yeah. more solitary existence. And I think that was like, you know, a big transition for me was just the, the, the pace and and uh, tempo uh, that I sort of work in now, um, and it's still you know it's still weird. You're reminding me of that quote from Heat, where uh, I forget who it is, but it's like for me the action is the juice. Yeah, exactly. because like truly, like when you get an email that's like, <laughs> yeah, so and so's in as a producer, yeah. or hey, we got Kevin Hart attached. You right. like, oh, like, oh. <laughs> like yeah. you feel like a king for twelve hours. Totally, totally. I know. I mean, that is the that is true. If you want to like get a deeper for a second, it's like that is truly like the mass delusion and sickness that we're all operating under is this like we have chosen to work in an industry where our entire sort of like sense of well-being and and self-worth is has to be constantly validated by external factors and people over whom like many of whom are monsters and over which none or you know none of which we have control over it's like it's fucking psychotic i mean honestly yeah 
uh, we spend a lot of time in therapy talking about that. I can't honestly. Uh, <laughs> I lost healthcare and can't afford therapy yeah. anymore. So this is why I have a podcast, yeah. Alex. No, that's smart. Um, the uh, something that that I have a very fond memory of that I think would be fun for our listeners to hear mm-hmm. is about the day we went to Jimmy Ivy. Oh, house. that's a great day. Yeah, um, because okay. I want to hear what it was like for you and just like the things you remember, and I'll tell you what I remember as well. Yeah, I mean this is this is definitely a story that like I, legendary. Yeah, and, and what I wanted to tell you is so funny. I ran into Puneet at Spider Man the other night, and we started talking. I don't know if remember who was there or, or some elsewhere, but so he in his mind, you know, we started talking about like when they put in the offer for Fairfax and yada yada. He goes, "What really did it and made us feel like we need this show was." I saw a picture of you guys at Jimmy Iovine's house on Alex Blagg's Instagram, and I went, they're going to go to Apple. We need this show. And that's what made us like really act quickly. That's producing, baby. baby. <laughs> that's, uh, you got to put it out there. You got to produce. That's um, what's up. Yeah, no, that was that was funny. I mean, yeah, so Fairfax is another weird one where it was like, you know, it really started with um those guys with some hoodlum, right? Yeah. Like we had this general with them. And I just like those guys. I like like their thing, like the kind of style that they were drawing in, and um, and they're so like innocent. And like even so, yeah. though they had, like tattoos on their yes, forehead, and yes, you'd be like, yes, my mom would be scared to be in an elevator with you. But like when you talk to them, they're the they're, they don't even say the f word. They've been no. homeschooled. They're so kind. They're like midwestern fucking chill ass bros yeah. that just had this like cool thing. And I, it was one of those meetings where it was like a fine meeting, but then like. I think, I don't know, a week later or something. It was a weekend. I very clearly remember this. I'm like on a run. I did this like long run on Saturdays. And I just was like, oh, wait, Fairfax, like South Park on Fairfax. Like that, that's with those guys. Like that's yeah. a show. And I immediately like, you know, hit up their managers. Like I, I have an idea with this is what we got to do. And so, you know, at the time, like I had other writing stuff going on. And so, and you would hit me up, I think about at midnight. Something, something oh, yeah, I was always related. there because of. Yeah. He who shall not be uh-huh. named. And uh, and so I just remember being like, oh, like, I can't write this. I need a writer. Matt, like, you would be kind of perfect. And so, yeah, I, you know, we, we started talking you about me, it. I'm in Mexico on Club yeah. de Cuervos. Yeah. I'm like, literally in Mexico. <laughs> I remember talking to you and you being like, okay, I'm on. I'm, you said just that. And I'm just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but cool. <laughs> soy un cuervo. Soy yeah. un escritor. <laughs> yeah. It was like that scene in Major League where they, they call uh, Jake and he's just, yeah, there's like chickens in the background and you're just like, I'm, I'm on this show. And uh, yeah. So anyway, we get going on that. You bring in Matt and Teddy. Uh, whatever. Fast forward, we do, we've developed this this great idea that becomes um, you know, your hit show and uh, just show. Period. Just, you just know, show, I think it was a hit. two seasons in this in in the world of twenty twenty three. That's is what people tell me. They're like, you got, like when I get I'm I am someone who's like glass half full. I thought this show should go for twenty seasons, and if it wasn't South Park, it's a fucking failure. Right. And everyone around me is like, Matt, do you know how hard it is? Like to have a show for two seasons but and now i retroactively tell people like it's like the nick we always meant for two seasons <laughs> exactly. and over we, we presented punit with a very very clear blueprint for exactly two seasons yeah. <laughs> we not we needed to stay true to the artistic vision mm-hmm. yeah now i think it was a hit and um but yeah so we we get to the point where at that point another it was like another at midnight thing where it was like okay so we had some hoodlum we had the three of us we bring you in you're like i talked to my friends Teddy and Aaron. Oh, Teddy, Teddy and Aaron. And we're like, they had, they had some funny ideas. And we're like, yeah, all right, three writers, sure. So like they, they come in. So now we're at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people. Mm-hmm. And then, and then yes. And then somehow I think T 
Teddy, Teddy went was, to school Teddy with Teddy went to school with Pizza Slime, who are these guys that do kind of like whatever viral stunts and branding. And like they have like a whole multi tentacle. Yeah, they're like a micro merchandising. Yeah. And they work with geniuses. Diplo. Yeah. And, and they're very cool. And so we're just like, sure, why not? So. Let's make it a, a nice clean ten. It's a baseball team now. A baseball team now. <laughs> so, so like we got this, we got this group of people, and we start. Um, but I will say, like again, everyone kind of serves their purpose on the team. I think it was Pizza Slime that like had some weird fucking connection to Apple and Jimmy Iovine. It, yes, it was because Jimmy's kid was at school with uh, Stove. Yes, right. So they, we actually went in. First, I think, or I, actually, I can't remember if this was before Apple. Before Amazon was the first pitch, period. Well, no, Amazon was the first pitch, but then we had that weird meeting with Larry Jackson at oh Apple. Oh, my God, where he kept looking at his phone and stuff. And yeah. Like, oh, I, I think that was that. before Jimmy, though. I, I can't remember. I think, you know, I think we went in and we met Larry, who was, it's also hilarious because Larry at the time, this is before Apple, uh, they had decided they were starting a TV studio, but they had not like figured out their team. So at the time it was just Jimmy Iovine and this guy, Larry Jackson, who were like the guys in charge of the music business. Yeah. They were just like, yeah, I guess you guys will run it. So we all have this weird pitch with this guy who's like probably never heard a TV pitch before. It's like <laughs> no. looking at his phone. And, uh, but we have this kind of connection through the P- pizza slime guys and he, he kind of follows it up generally like, like, yeah, this seems cool. And then I think at that point we were pitching other people. So we then tried to like leverage Amazon's interests with like, Hey man, we're Amazon's serious about this. Are you guys? And so then he sets us up on this like <laughs> truly psychotic meeting with uh, Jimmy Iovine who listeners, if you, you're not familiar, uh, you know, go, go watch the defiant ones, the documentary. I had just watched it. It, it had just come it out had, like two weeks yes, ago. It yes. could have been, it could not have been better timing and truthfully, the, the caption that I used when I posted the picture was Defiant 1 Season 2. And people were writing on it, congrats! Like, they yeah. thought it was a real thing. We were the writing we were the, team. We were the new Defiant ones, yeah. <laughs> that was, I think my, my caption was like, we are the Defiant ones. It was something like that. But yeah, so the, the, the documentary had just come out, and it's just like this self-mythologizing thing. I mean, the guy has had a fucking legendary career. It's like yeah. he was in the studio with John Lennon and like all the, and whatever, made a billion dollars. I wasn't looking for a white rapper. I was looking for great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we we show up to like Beverly Hills in one of those like weird cloistered neighborhoods that it's like everything is gated. And yeah, he had like a guard tower, like we're going to yeah, the studio a lot. Yeah, and we all pull in, and you know, we're it's just like it's already like you know you're meeting this guy that's like kind of iconic, and so it's it's very intimidating. We walk in, only billionaire house I've ever been into. I I've been into some nice houses before. This is the only true billionaire. Do you remember the first thing that's in the foyer that greets you? There was like that. There was a lot of like weird pop art. I remember. And yes, like, but specifically there was a iPod Gen One yes, in a glass yes, case yes, signed yes. by Steve Jobs, like right. bathed in light. Right. I don't know how I don't remember that specific, <laughs> but yes, I, I was. I because you were too distracted by the Basquiat. I was so. The wall. Yeah, I was so. It was like Basquiat, and just also just like that kind of weird tacky pop art you'd find in like I don't know, like the standard hotel lobby or something, <laughs> where it's just like a fucking giant purple guitar that has a dick coming out of it i don't know anyway it was it was weird it was very intimidating we get then sort of shown through you know or led through his his palatial estate into this giant kind of like tv room next to the kitchen where he's like this tiny man sitting on the biggest couch i've ever seen in my (laughs) life it's like you could seriously fit like 60 people on this couch i think it's it's enormous it it defies uh physics anyway so we sit down 
and his daughter is there. I remember mm-hmm. his, uh, who I think also kind of knew the pizza yeah. slime guys. And it started out as almost like it felt like the pizza slime guys were visiting their friends' parents, which is literally is what it was, right? Yeah. Where it was just like, how you boys been? Oh yeah, like that's great. <laughs> and like, did you get anything to eat? Okay, good. And it just like, and, you know, I'm sitting there as the producer trying to like <laughs> exude a sense of authority and, and like adultness. Like, Do you I, remember when they asked? He took tea, and he was like, "Would you guys like any tea?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> my my butler or chef or whoever yeah. is making us tea. Yeah. I I think I passed on the tea. Mm -hmm. I'm just sitting there. So we then, I think the way that it went was first we, we, you know, we finally get the conversation around to the show, which is why what we're there ostensibly to pitch. And we do the pitch. You guys at this point have like a very tightly rehearsed kind of bulletproof thing where we walk them through the art and the characters and everything else. And he sits there and he's, you know, very politely and he's interested and he's, and he, and I thought he was very, you know, he's complimentary. He was just like, I think he's a kids is a great idea you do you know? remember that he goes i'll never forget this he goes so uh, this is really good what are you guys thinking without missing a beat teddy goes we like a series order do you remember that oh, and that jimmy ivy goes how about a pilot yeah two seasons in a movie <laughs> he's just like okay maybe but how about a pilot yeah yeah i do remember that and like okay so we we do this kind of business dance it feels generally positive i'm 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 definitely feeling like yeah dude we got a fucking live one here jimmy <laughs> iavine is like in though at this point i think in my mind i do know that like i don't know that jimmy iavine has a is officially going to be the guy at apple tv yeah and right? also he doesn't have a clue about television no, no as is evident by what happens next yes what happens <laughs> next which is truly one of the great things that's ever happened to me in show business but um but yeah, so we're 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 sitting there. We we've kind of wrapped up the thing, and he's just like, "You guys are like young, cool guys. Well, I got you here. You know, we produced this uh, this show for Dr. Dre. Uh, you you guys, would you guys want to like take a look at a couple episodes? Just tell me what you think." And and so at this point, I had heard when they first announced Apple was going to kind of make the pivot into TV and movies that they had given. Dr. Dre a bunch of money to basically make his own biopic or or like a series loosely based on his life. Yeah, it was like like a dramatic curb about Dr. Dre. About Dr. Dre. Like I had read about it in the press. And I remember like being aware of it. And I remember thinking when he said that, I was like, oh, fuck, cool. Yeah. Like I want to see this. Like this would be great. So he, you know, pulls the the projector screen down or whatever, has a TV and like puts this on. I also don't forget, Alex, that he has uh, on his like big, huge, like VCR size remote. It had like fourteen TV inputs yeah. into it. You could control yeah. like everything in the house from the this whole thing. house. From it, yeah, it was like the it was like the fucking Batcave like control <laughs> panel totally. for his TV room. And like, okay, so okay, so I wanted to like re- re- we're on the biggest all of us, all ten of us plus him <laughs> plus I think Larry plus his daughter. Yeah, Larry are, kept going in and out making calls. Yes, he's right. like in the back like Alfred Molina. <laughs> exactly, another the, another the, the, the kid throwing the crackers. Yes, actually, a, totally another another moment. In, in boogie night so and so okay so we're on this giant fucking couch to orient you i'm sitting kind of towards the end next to me is jimmy iavine's kind of like i don't know maybe 18 year old daughter like young yeah right uh, yeah i don't know her teenager age, yeah. or early 20s but way young like very young and then next to her is jimmy and then you guys because i'm just very aware <laughs> of me sitting next to his daughter sitting next to him he puts this show on and I mean, look, this is in 2017, yeah. right? Six years ago, uh, Apple spent, I want to say, half a billion dollars <laughs> on this show that nobody 
here on God's green earth, except a few of us lucky people uh, and maybe some other Apple insiders have ever seen yeah. or heard of again. There was an article recently about the like never seen. I'll send it to you. I don't know if you read it, oh, but it was I like the legend that. of what it's about. Um, because I remember it opens with like a Steely Dan needle drop. Yeah. Uh, and then Dre's Ferrari crashing on PCH or Mulholland in a yeah. very expensive manner. Yeah. That's how it starts. It's how it starts. And then it's like, I th- I mean, the plot that I remember was basically like Dr. Dre had this like guy. And Dre's cousin. playing. Cousin. Cousin. He's playing himself, yes, too. Yes, Dre which plays is, himself. psychotic. It was crazy. And so does so, his wife. Wife so does his wife. Yeah, his wife plays herself. And his cousin, um, basically they're in like a restaurant and someone like looks sideways at Dr. Dre and the cousin just fucking kills him. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yes, I yeah. do. The, cousin, just, the cousin's is out from jail and keeps trying to get Dr. Dre and is like, you've like a sellout pussy. You forgot where you're from. Yada, right. yada, yada. Like, right. I'm, you know, I'm from the fucking streets and from jail. Like, this guy just looked at you like, you know, you're going to let that stand. Exactly. And they're all in every location. It's like every car is a fucking Bentley or better. <laughs> every location is a giant mansion. It's like they spend, I mean, there's literally and also, I mean. It's like Sam Rockwell and like fucking Sam like Rockwell is Tilda playing Swinton or something like that. The angel and devil on Dre's shoulder because after his cousin kills the person right. or whatever, the cops chase. Right. And this is like a pre-Queen and Slim, you should kill the cop is yes, what his cousin tells. Right. And then that's Sam right. Rockwell appears and is like, good cop, bad cop, angel, devil, what you should you do? Exactly. And, then, and, 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 and there's several other, and I'm forgetting, like Ian McShane, I think. There's several other major fucking actors that are in this that they also probably couldn't have been cheap. And anyway, it's all written, I think, by Doctor. And an orgy. And an, so we're, I'm getting okay, the orgy. Right? So, okay. so it's yeah, and, and it's like all written clearly by Doctor Dre and his best friend, who thinks he's the fucking coolest person in the world. It is just like every scene is just like about how badass and rich Doctor Dre is, and then like all the like the baller ass lifestyle they're living. Anyway, yes, and then we so we watch this first episode. It is unspeakably bad. I mean, it's, it's just awful. it's just objectively awful. one of the worst like kind of executed things but but it's it's weird and surreal because it's like it's the kind of thing you would expect like an acting troupe to make for no money right like it would yeah. be like it, it was like but it's like they had spent so much money it was like so premium but still so bad and so jimmy's like so boys what'd you think and we're like oh it's pretty good pretty good you know because again we had just pitched our show to yeah. him so what are we gonna say like that's uh unwatchable <laughs> nightmare. No, we're like, that was great. And he's like, okay, great, great. You know what? Let's watch another one. That's the part where I was like, he's like, what about a, you want to watch an episode? You want to watch an yeah, episode? Yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's like, you guys want to binge this, don't you? And we're just like, I guess so. <laughs> now it's like hostage vibes. Like yeah. we're we're so we're prisoners on Jimmy Iovine's couch. So he's going and we have to watch it with him. Yeah. He's watching us watch it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to also all perform. The enjoyment. Yes, we're all ooing and eyeing. Right. Like looking for it. You're like, what is the expected human reaction to this moment? Like, am I doing the right one? <laughs> like, So we're doing this. And then, yes, the second episode, I don't know if it culminates in, but I will never forget it, is a, just a giant fucking orgy, right? And in very, I mean, very little left to the imagination. <laughs> just like, like eyes wide shut ass shit. And I am sitting next to this man's teenage fucking daughter. It's like it's like the whole idea of like watching a sex scene with your parents, like yeah. that cringiness. But I'm watching a fucked up sex scene next to the teenage daughter of a man I just pitched a show to <laughs> who's already said he's going to give us a pilot. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, 
what the fuck am I supposed to do here? <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. We watched it. We then had to do like a whole, as I remember, like round table where we're like finding nice things to say about how this is going to be a massive fucking hit mm-hmm. and cultural juggernaut. And yes, Jimmy, the kids are going to love it. And then we left. And well, first he at the, at the, yeah. What, what I, am I, I just want to remind you, just because it's, it's so good. He he goes. So any questions? And uh, I said I have two. And he goes, shoot. I said we just pitched you a whole show about fashion and clothing and menswear or streetwear. What do you wear? And he goes, you know, for me, everything's got to be Gucci. That's what he said. <laughs> that was one. And then I said, okay, Jimmy Iovine, like you've worked with some of the greatest people in the history of music. When you're in your car, what are you listening to? And he goes, Dylan, exclusively Bob Dylan. Uh, and I've never forgotten those two things, Gucci and Bob Dylan. He's incredible. I somehow don't remember. I think at that point I was just truly like so shell-shocked <laughs> by the orgy. I, my body had left my yeah. soul. And I'm just like, okay. Just get out of this house <laughs> and, and like hold on to the offer. <laughs> like, 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 don't fumble. It was again. It was like the. It was, I'm back to the like at midnight thing where I'm just like, don't fumble the bag. <laughs> it's like all I'm thinking at that point. And like, just yeah. We we leave his house and I I think it felt. I mean, again, it was another one where it felt like good. It what we didn't have like a. It wasn't quite a like slam dunk like yeah we're doing it because again it was such a i think apple was such a question mark and like the only thing they had done was this nightmare show that we had just watched and so but as you said before i think what it 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 was a crucial part of the process because it was that picture from the meeting of all of us and jimmy ivine and his weird huge couch Oh, that was the best part that he said you guys want to take a picture because he knew we were shitting our pants because the defined ones had just come out exactly and so we're of course like yes we all take this group picture, still on our Instagrams. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, and then I think you're right. Puneet sees that. Puneet is the executive at Amazon that ultimately ended up buying and, and making the show or shepherding it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think we, we were able, like, just by, what's so funny is just, like, I don't think, you know, if we would have played that out another way, right? And say we would have been like, oh, let's, like, let's see what this Apple or this Jimmy <laughs> Iovine thing goes. It would have been nothing because like he I think like maybe I don't know four months later they hired the guys that were running Sony to come in. It was Mm -hmm. like they got TV guys that came in and now they're you know they're making Ted Lasso or whatever. And uh, and yeah but it just ended up being the right meeting at the right time and then it got the right attention that the other executive that wanted the project was just like. Like he called his bosses and was just like, "You gotta fucking make a real offer. Like, get Jimmy Iovine, the defiant one, is taking the show off the table." <laughs> and you know that's how TV gets. Made. And so I want to share with you the moment I find out we are going to sell. Yes, uh, Fairfax. I have never sold anything to this point. I uh-huh. got on the blacklist. Uh, I had been a staff writer and on that that Spanish soccer show, but I have never sold anything. And like, that was my dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like Teddy and Aaron had sold so many things. And that was a big part. Of, like, yeah, Teddy was my friend, but I was like, he's got to know something and like know how to pitch. Like I'm missing something. And of course, like I learned how to properly pitch from them. Um, 
But where was I going with this, Alex? I just this was your the, the, the first time. Oh, you right. Got okay, the call. okay, okay, okay. So I'm sitting in bed, and I just am like, nothing good ever happens to me. Like, yeah, we're pitching the show, but like, no one's gonna, you know. I I just had a very. Mm-hmm. I'm working at Barney's New York yeah. because I can't get staffed. Right. I'm like, the Hollywood is fucked, and this is already back in 2017. Yeah, it's only gotten better from there. Yeah, I'm sitting in bed, and I get an email from you, and I'm on the phone with Teddy, and it just says Amazon, and I said to him, I'm like, great, Alex is going to email us now that Amazon is passing. And I open the email, and it's from you, and it's like, hey, guys, uh, I think officially Amazon is going to come. It was a Friday. Amazon is going to make an offer. Congrats. And I read that, and like you would have think Publishers Clearinghouse just showed up at my house because I like screamed and yeah. jumped out of bed. Uh, You're like, Barney's, I quit. And also, I want everything in here. Give me the whole fucking store. Uh, so it was a huge, a huge moment for me. Uh, yeah. That you don't know that email that you sent. Uh, I was probably shitting. I mean, I was probably <laughs> just shitting. It was like, I should email Matt and those guys, let them know. No, because I had probably gotten a similar email from WME or whatever being like, you know, one of those weird cryptic agent emails where it's like three words where it's like Amazon probs. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. I mean, it is, it's just like you get the, you have these like moments that end up being kind of life changing. Right. And then, and in, it's good at least you, you at least seemed, I think, to have a healthy awareness of like appreciating them when they happen and being present enough to like yeah. to acknowledge the sort of miracle of anything good happening in this fucking nightmare business. And, you know, and, and I think holding on to those moments, I, I think I str- that was something I had to learn, like having some of those those moments earlier in my career, like even like little kind of. Yeah, like highs along the way. And I, I just I remember feeling like uncomfortable and and weird about it and like imposter syndrome and all this stuff that uh, I wish that it, not that I would have been become an asshole, but just been a little bit more like, yeah, man, like fucking great job. Like you did it, you know, like that. That kind of, I just can. It's very difficult for me to get to that space. I don't know. Yeah, I I am. I came so close so many times and didn't like with that blacklist thing. I got on the blacklist, but like nobody bought it and that yeah. John Hamburg attached, but it still didn't get set. Right. Up. Right. And like I came close so many times and had not gotten across the finish line that when this finally happened, I was just like, oh, my God, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, the other important thing, I think, to take away from this story is that, you know, when you're talking about Ooh, what if we had went with Sony or Sony Apple, so much of this is like you're just sort of choosing a path to yeah. go down. Yeah. And, you know, because at the time, I don't even know if you remember, we had offers from FX Complex, whom we pitched, Amazon, yeah. and then this like weird Jimmy Iovine thing and amazon was the most excited about the show they got it from jump street they totally understood that you know they also had the infrastructure like we want to sell the shit that we make on the show that's Mm -hmm. like the fun you know makes it 4d or 5d or whatever the stickiness um and we went with them because we figured like they might there's an actual chance of production here you know the other guys fx came in because everybody else came in and, and apple was a question mark but like FX uh, was at the time like Atlanta. Like, had we done anything else, who the fuck knows what have happened? Yeah, no, I know. It's it's it, it, when you th- it's hard sometimes. I think to look back and like really like examine all the pieces that had to fall in place the way they did for the thing to happen. Because if you do that, it's almost it's so fucking daunting to even think about replicating that. Right? Like yeah. the idea of just like all the weird. I mean, just like I knew Panit from from uh, you know I I when I was on the blacklist, we had 
had a development project at the company he was with at the time. And like, I'd gotten to know him as a friend and like, so, you know, we had like a friendly executive thing. So when we were pitching Amazon, I was like, yeah, we should pitch Panit. And I think at the time for him, he was still kind of like a lower level executive. And so like, he was probably looking for a project that he could really champion. It could be his thing. Right. And so like, he was like, I think primed and like more open to it. Right. And, and then the Apple, it's just like all these little you know, butterfly effecty things that have to happen for anything to kind of like get done. It's just, it's, it, it, it really is like kind of like a miracle every time it happens. And, you know, yeah, it's a lot of luck. Well, as I told him, uh, he put a, I'm going moving to London on Instagram yeah. thing. And in like a moment of maybe I'm stoned and had a beer or two, I wrote him like, Hey, Poonie, I just want to take a moment to tell you that my whole <laughs> life, like a, a really, you took a chance on us and like, I'm so uh, indebted to you. And I know you don't ever need us, but if, should you ever need anything, mm-hmm. there are three dudes in LA who would love nothing more than to repay you. Um, and I said this to you at lunch and I will say it again publicly. Uh, Fairfax would not exist without you and you are an integral part of it, dude. And Thank I, and, and, and should I, and had I not even read your writing on Tumblr and Molly's and all these other things that like led me, it really opened my eyes to like, Oh, like the voice that I have in my head and the, the way that I talk, like that's how you should be writing. Stop trying to write like Brady Sinellis. <laughs> Stop trying to write like James Fry, you know, so many of the or sex, drugs and cocoa puffs. Um, Chuck pop, yeah. Yeah. Who I spent a long time, I was trying to write like Chuck Klosterman. So you were reading me, someone trying to write like Chuck Klosterman, and then telling yourself, stop trying to write like Chuck Klosterman. Right, totally. And only but by like reading your guys like silly Tumblr blogs, I was like, oh, like that's how you, like your voice is your voice. Like stop trying to be other people, just fucking be me. Um, and so I owe you a huge thank you. Well, you have a very clear voice, man, and I've always appreciated it. And yeah, from the first time that you reached out and we had that, breakfast after the blacklist thing i mean you just always seemed like a kindred spirit we even kind of look the same we like, do <laughs> i've i've gained a little weight you're you're in much better shape it's but for depression. a while there, it's depre- like, everyone yeah. keeps being like how are you so skinny i'm yeah. like um you try work stoppage and not having work and having your show and deal canceled and your two best friends continue working without you you'll get skinny too see i go the other way i just get fat <laughs> get sad and fat but um but no yeah man you just always been somebody that like uh, I've, I've enjoyed to be around. I've enjoyed your work. And, and, you know, and, and even though like I had to kind of make it one of those tough choices myself and then sort of take a different path and wasn't kind of able to go on the full, uh, Fairfax, you know, ride with you. It was, uh, I was very glad always to see, you know, your guys success and, and, and that, uh, that, you know, you got to make this thing that, that, you know, you obviously cared a lot about and, and did it with your friends. And, um, yeah, man, it's just, it's uh, I, 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 I was and remain a fan. So. Many other producers would not be as gracious and as kind as you. And uh, I think that's real important to all you people looking out there. <laughs> Alex Black is out there. He's producing. He's writing. <laughs> he's doing his thing. Well, he's not writing right now. He's not allowed to write. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk in circles with my friends after this and. I'm going to yeah. um, uh, meet Jimmy Iovine. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> we should just show up we back there. Honestly... We should just be like, dude, can we watch the rest of that <laughs> with your daughter by any chance? Uh, thank you, dude, for coming to do this. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for asking me, man. It was fun. No problem. Bye, Alex. Bye. Bye.